Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of Our Three Cents, a weekly podcast celebrating the absolute joy of video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn, and as always, I am joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Kick punch, it's all in the mind. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. Tangible or concrete? (laughs) And this week, we are bringing you an Our Three Cents first, after... Two years of forcing your ears to abide with our three respective nonsense, we are joined by a special guest for a special episode, revelling in the dying appreciation of the denier of the digital revolution, the physical video games. So, today we would like to introduce Jonathan Polan, known more colloquially as JP. Hello and welcome to you, JP. Hi, thanks for having me. So, JP is, shall we say... An obsessive Switch collector. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> Among other things, the, the founder of uh, the site JP's Switch Mania, which acts as a central repository for Switch reviews, as well as a weekly resource for upcoming physical releases on the platform. More recently, he started the Switch Mania Playcast with Jeffrey Wittenhagen and Barry Carenza. And he also worked on the Switch Collector Volume 1, a book that collects together release information for every physical title that came out in the first year of the Switch's life. And finally, at the tail end of 2020, JP co-founded Premium Edition Games with Jeffrey, which is a new physical publishing house for boutique indie releases on the Nintendo Switch. We'll hear more about all of these achievements and, and more a little later on. But for now, how are you, JP? And, and more importantly, please do tell us what of your entire Switch physical collection, <laughs> what cartridge is currently residing in your Switch? Oh, well, first off, thanks everybody for having me. It's an honor to be on our three cents. And you'll get to know a little bit about me over the course of this episode. But to answer your first question, right now in my Switch my physical cartridge is Immortals Phoenix Rising. Ooh. I am just past the 21-hour mark. I still feel like I have a long way to go, Ooh. but I'm completely obsessed with that game. Fantastic. Is it the poor man's Breath of the Wild, or is it better <laughs> than that? Honestly, I, I enjoy it, I think, better than Breath of the Wild, and I think it's because of the dialogue. I mean, you know, both games are open world. You get to pretty much go anywhere, climb anything. But the dialogue in the in Immortals is just like A plus. I mean, you know, we talked about this on, on our playcast and also I talk about it, you know, on social media, but the dialogue itself could lend itself to just make an amazing comedy action movie. It's just so hilarious. You literally stop what you're doing in the game to listen to the narration. And to me that just I think takes it above Breath of the Wild. Yeah, I mean Breath of the Wild certainly revels in just just leaving you alone. Yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> just 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 think just thinking about what you've done. Immortals <laughs> did look like it was it was a lot of fun. It's one that I think I would pick up if it goes on sale at some point. Mm-hmm. I think I, I could definitely see myself picking it up because it does look it does look really nice. Yeah, and, and I think what's great is that, you know, if you wanna you have a few different options. So for people who like to, you know, explore everything, do all the side quests. There's plenty of that because in the game, at any point, you can click, at least on the on the Switch, you click on the right, you know, analog thumb, and it kind of goes into like a sensory mode where it's a first person view. You you can go 360 as you're looking around the whole landscape, and as you're getting over certain points, the the system starts to vibrate. So when you click it again, it it kind of 
creates a marker of where certain items are. So if you're looking like a, mm. if, it, if it's a crystal, it'll appear itself. So that way it stays on your map. So at any point you're playing, you'll have a compass that tells you where all these items that you found are located. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And there's plenty. I mean, there's, you know, I guess the equivalent of the of like the dungeons and whatnot in Zelda. So you go in and you do mini missions to unlock power ups and new weapons and coins and stuff like that. And what's nice is that if you just want to play the game for the story, you know, they have that easy mode where, you know, all the enemies are just reduced to practically nothing. So you can just enjoy the game itself. There's obviously all the way up to the hardcore mode if you really want to challenge. So, you know, it lends itself to be very accessible and it has so much that if you're casual, you can just play the game. If you are a completionist, there's stuff to keep you busy for 50 plus hours. Nice. It's a good sell. Thank you. <laughs> you hear that, Ubisoft? <laughs> so to kick proceedings off, I think it's fair to say that the, the three of us here have varying relationships with physical games, notions of collections, hoarding, preservation <laughs> of digital media, financial management. I mean, that's just that's just the map of Chris's psyche on a Monday. Yeah. And Chris is certainly the collector of the group because, you know, I mean, me and Minty have, have slightly different approaches. Now, JP, mm-hmm. do you have a copy of every single physical release on the Switch? So... Technically, no. And the reason I'll say that is because (laughs) I haven't fully committed yet to a Japanese only collection. So I am going. So I guess there's I guess there's tiers of how I collect. I mean, first and foremost, you know, I go for a complete ESRB North America release that I, I have. And when I collect, I do the variant covers I do. I focus on on actually like the cover and the artwork. So not so much, you know, buying a collector edition and a regular edition, but more so is the cover art different? And that's that's kind of how I base my obsessiveness. But I also <laughs> go for a worldwide collection that supports English. So in the UK, so any Peggy release that doesn't come out in the US and or has a different cover, I'll go for overseas in Japan and Asia. If there's a game that supports English that we didn't get here. And again, if it's a different cover, I'll go for that. So I guess I have about 95% of the entire Switch games that have been uh, published physically so far. <laughs> I'm going to say that's all right. That's, uh, that's, a, that's a good effort, you know. I think, I mean, for me, and I, I've spoken about this before a little bit on the podcast, and, and how because I have obsessive compulsive disorder, a few nice purchases of box sets and, and a growing library on the shelf can, can very fast become an obsession. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've had to be strict with myself over the years, although I will still buy nice collector's editions for games that that mean a lot to me and i'll i'll hold on to games that i have more of a personal relationship with so like looking looking on my shelf behind me i've got things like my original copy of pokemon blue and pokemon gold Mm -hmm. i've got my collector's edition of the switch version of Link's awakening which is it's just absolutely gorgeous and there's this lovely steelbook in there which is in the style of an original Game Boy. And if you turn it over, you can see the original cartridge in the back. It's so, so nice. And I've got that sat with the original box and cartridge of Link's Awakening and oh, my nice. original Game Boy too, which is, is lovely. I've got other sort of nice collector's editions like the Octopath Traveler pop-up book mm-hmm. special edition, the Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition special edition, all the editions, which is, you know, it's got loads <laughs> of lovely stuff in there. Dead Cells one, Breath of the Wild one. I can't even remember what's in that, to be honest. <laughs> Big sword, isn't it, in Breath of the Wild? It could be. It could it's, be. Yes, the Master Sword in its plinth, isn't it? Well, that sounds great. I should yep. get that out. <laughs> I was really, really hoping that actually this weekend my collector's edition of 
Ori and the Blind Forest and Ori and the Will of the Wisps for the Switch box set would have arrived because apparently it's, it's on its way and mm-hmm. it's, it's this beautiful, beautiful, like, just thing. It just, oh, I'm, I'm very excited. Uh, what else have I got on there? I've got a row of GameCube games, some Saturn games, even a Master System game, which is actually a copy of the Asterix game that me, me and my brother used to play when we had our Master System. But we found this copy in my wife's mum's loft when we were sorting through some stuff of hers. Oh, wow. And it was just this this lovely joint memory of like both of our childhoods that like, you know, whilst separated by a, a gulf of, of time and space before we would, you know, meet and fall in love. You know, we were both sat playing the same game and that's just, I love that. So I've got that as well. And sort of like the thing that dawned on me looking at this collection is and trying to figure out what my rule is for like what I buy, what I keep, what I let go is basically that like, I feel like I'm curating my own personal museum of my gaming history. And, I, you know, I think that's that's how it will continue to grow as well. Not 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 necessarily worrying about having all of something or holding on to everything but keeping what what really matters to me i'm you know i'm, I'm going i'm going with quality not quantity <laughs> uh, <laughs> how, how about you minty how does this work for you like what what do you find makes the cut what what would be in your sarcophagus <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> i'm sorry to say not 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 a huge amount um yeah i i don't really i've never really had the the income to enjoy such things as special editions or owning more than five or six games at a single time. I think on the spectrum of the three hosts, I'm on the I'm on the sort of the miserly end. <laughs> so if I complete a game, I don't think I'm going to please complete it again. It goes straight back to the shop for credit, so that I don't have to spend fifty quid on a new game. So I think at the moment, I I think I'm creeping up to maybe eight physical Switch games. It's only that high because of the lockdown and because my copy of Fire Emblem Three Houses was left too close to my Himalayan salt lamp, which means that the sleeve has... Um, it, it's, 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 it's sustained a little bit of a saline damage. Um, I'm, 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 oh, if I had a penny for every time that had happened. Oh, I tell you. I'm, I'm so ashamed. And I don't want them, the folks in game to make fun of me. If you if you think that's bad, when I used to work at game, somebody came in with a <laughs> with a stack of PS2 games to trade in. You're like you have to open them up, make sure obviously the game's in there and it's not scratched or whatever. And mm. I opened one game up, and inside was a used cotton wool bud. Oh. oh. <laughs> and I sent him from the shop. I got in trouble with my manager for doing that, but I was so grossed out by that. I said, I said, get out of my sight. Get out. <laughs> it was absolutely horrendous. What what about you, Chris? How how do you justify your actions? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I own a lot of games. Like we've said a few times, of the three of us, I'm, I am the one that obsessively collects them and, and struggles to let them go. I, I think, though, there is a reason for it, at least in my head. And and I've said this before that I I like the idea that games have been around about as long as we have been alive, mm. like in terms of like being a mainstream thing or a semi-mainstream thing. And I, I just like having a, a knowledge of it as, as a medium because there's nothing else that we can go that far back with and still feel like you can almost keep up with. And and physical games for me is a way of just preserving stuff because it makes it that much easier to to know it's going to be there in the future i mean this week jp will definitely know this because i've seen his his twitter in the last week (laughs) it is essentially it's been the impossible re-release that the the scott pilgrim game has returned to digital storefronts after being delisted back in 2014 
it looked for a long time that that would just never happen. There were too many rights holders involved in that one piece of media, but it has, it's out there. And, and, you know, through limited run as well, it will have a physical release in the very near future, which is fantastic. So it's got that idea of being preserved. It's just things like, you know, I, I was lucky enough that I had it on my Xbox 360, so I could have played it if I wanted to. But for a game that was pretty critically revered at the time, you know, it reviewed very well. I, I just think it's a real shame that people wouldn't have been able to access that to think that, you know, you might read about it, you might see it referenced somewhere and then just have no no recourse to pick it up and play it and see what it actually was. And this happens all the time, like Telltale games up until very recently when they went bankrupt sort of a year or so ago, all of a sudden all their games were just purged off of all storefronts. And it's only because certain properties have been picked up by by other publishers now that it's starting to to come back and you can now access some of this stuff again. But it, it may seem like a really silly fear. But like I said, I, I have this real joy in in reading about like sometimes an obscure game and, and just being able to then find a way of playing it and finding out what it is and actually having a firsthand experience of, of being able to see it. And if it's from a current generation, obviously that's normally quite easy. You can pick up a game on, on most digital storefronts. You can pick up a game on Steam or whatever. But it only takes going back a generation or two. And then you start having issues where you're not always going to be able to you're not always going to be able to actually access that anymore. And I think modern digital rights management as well is is a real bane in that in the near, you know, in the, in the near history, like not too too long gone, we've lost all of Xbox Live indie games just overnight delisted and you can't download it even if you owned it previously. We've lost all of the titles on on WiiWare as well from the Wii when that storefront shut down in the same way. Mm. If you owned anything on older generation iOS devices like old iPhones, just gone if, if developers haven't updated the apps they're now totally inaccessible and that's a real real shame but in having these fiscal games you know i can still play a title from the xbox live indie games days like uh, one called bleed because i own a copy on the ps4 on a physical disc that play asia put out and that's sat nicely on my shelf or i can still play bit trip runner that was on WiiWare because yes it is on some digital storefronts now but i have a nice copy on the vita on the shelf so i can pick it up and play it and like I mentioned, because of, you know, companies like Limited Run and, and their kind of tireless work, Scott Pilgrim is going to be another one of those games that is preserved physically forever for, for lots of people to be able to access and play. And I think it's just, you know, there's a huge amount of like early cinema, for example, that is just totally lost forever because no one thought to put this stuff aside and, and archive it properly at the time because it was such a new thing. And and I don't want games to go the same way. I feel really passionate that they they need to be kind of given a sort of importance that I think the medium deserves as you know it is essentially at the moment the highest grossing medium about isn't it in terms of entertainment makes more money than anything else and it just seems crazy that within that something could come out to to you know reasonable plomb and just just be gone overnight so yeah it's just a way of having that archive in front of me I think is really important and knowing or feeling like at least I'm doing my bit to preserve that so something all of us have prepared is a memory of a particular favourite physical release or limited edition from the annals of our gaming memory that we would we would like to share with each other and with you, dear listener. So, JP, would you like to kick us off with, with a memory of yours? Sure. It was hard coming up because I wasn't always... Uh... Like a big collector, I, I, I consider myself a gamer growing up. You know, I had all the consoles, but I was never actively buying every game, mainly because I was a kid, and you know, I could only afford what my allowance had or what my parents got me as a gift. But thinking about back in the day, 
I would say like the PlayStation 1 for me had a lot of fun games. I remember like really enjoying the RPGs, the JRPGs at that time. So one release that came out that I absolutely loved and still feel that it was such a quality release was the Lunar Silver Star Story. So if you remember this, it was from Working Designs and their releases just were never standard. You know, the Lunar game came in this nice box. It came with the Omaki like little box inside that contained... I think at the time it was uh, little standees of the characters. You had the map. You had this hardcover book. I mean, it was just such a quality release. And to me, that's what I always equated like a true collector's edition to be. It's just something that really adds a lot of value and enhances like the love of a game even more because you have all these additional physical goodies with it. So from that era, I would definitely say like Lunar and pretty much any working design title holds a nice memory to me. Awesome. Minty, how about you? What physical game that you have possessed holds a special place in your miserly heart? Well, I've got a couple. <laughs> <laughs> I think overall, Majora's Mask 3D, I think it's that's the only game that I got a special edition for where I've, so I've, I've, I've actively engaged with the paraphernalia that came with it. I mean, we'll, we'll skip over the poster because... I'm I'm just opposed to posters on a physical level and a spiritual <laughs> level because who wants a piece of decor that's got visible folds from being stuffed into a box that's the size of a DVD? Mm-hmm. It, just, it just ruins it. There was also that lovely that lovely badge of the uh, the titular mm. Majora's masks that I don't don't think I took off my coat for about three years. A nice little model of the Skull Kid, which I've I've got sat on the top of this nice shelving unit in the spare room with my my modest amiibo collection and the carry case for the 3ds just a a lovely offering a a nice little mix of function and form that i only really got because it was bundled together with the new 3ds so i thought well nice i'm buying this 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 new console so i might as well enjoy a bit of uh bit of upmarket tat with the game that comes with it as well (laughs) i'd like to give a special mention as well to the uh, to the depths of doom trilogy on the pc in about what was that 1997 maybe like it came in a massive box about the size of a board game that you could get like college credit or UCAS points for learning how to play (laughs) but it only had 3d three cd-roms and a fairly modest manual inside I I really liked it because it had it had really great box art and because it was such a massive box it was just really nice just to sort of just really nice to look at and to hold I often think back to it and just think huh I just really enjoy those times when people were struggling to find the happy medium between just a CD case and a fucking Ottoman to hold their (laughs) their games in. I mean, PC game boxes of the 90s were arrogantly big. I, I couldn't tell you a single thing that was in this box apart from the manual and three CDs. Like, what was all that extra space for? How about you, Chris? I've owned quite a lot of limited edition games over the years, but these days I do, I tend to avoid buying big lavish editions just because I don't have the space to display anything so much as I used to. You know, as, as the regular collection of games has grown, I don't have the big space to put like a statue at the end of my shelf <laughs> or anything like that. So I, I generally don't buy kind of big box stuff anymore, but a game I do remember actively like coveting as soon as I saw it, it was going to exist 
was the Wizards edition of Nino Kuni on the PlayStation 3. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Our version in this country, and I'm not sure if it was the same in the US, it could have been slightly different, but we got a little plush doll of Drippy, you know, everyone's favourite Welsh king of the fairies. It came with some bonus DLC, you know, take it or leave it, it was just a way to, to get a couple extra familiars for your character. But it also came with a complete one-to-one replica of the Wizards Companion, like the book from the game. And for those that haven't played it, and Minty, we've, we've told you to quite a few times, so this is a little little warning for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Inside the game, you've got like a nearly 200-page long Wizards Companion manual thing. And this is kind of like all the lore of the game, all the spells of the game, all the, the bestiary of the game. It's all inside these pages. And you have to refer back to it constantly. It's like just part of the rhythm of the game that you you learn new things. You go back to the companion, you, you find out what you need to do next kind of thing. But having this in front of you, like an actual proper hardback book, properly bound at a lovely cover with little gems on it, I think, it was it was just such a nice way of, of consulting that and not having to go into your digital inventory, but having something physical in front of you that I think made it a better game to play. You know, it was just such a lovingly printed thing that it made everything feel more immersive. And I was quite sad, actually, when, when the game got ported to modern platforms, as much as I was happy to be able to have a, you know, a, a shinier version of Nino Kuni, a game I really like, I was sad that the Switch version and the PlayStation 4 version, the Xbox version, it didn't come with a book. You couldn't get an edition with a book. There was no limited edition of that, of that title. And when I upgraded my copy, I thought I should really sell the PlayStation 3 one. I don't need two copies of this game. But I haven't because I, I don't want to split up like the book and the box. I don't want someone else to see this box and be like, oh, it's going to have this amazing book in it, get nothing. And equally, I, I don't want to have like my my game on the shelf on the PlayStation 4 and then a book that it didn't come with. It doesn't feel like it deserves that. So <laughs> yeah, I, I have the original box at home in, in, in my loft in storage, but it is there. I know the Wizards Companion's in it and I just couldn't face getting rid of it. It's such a nice artifact to come with a game. Uh, for any younger listeners, uh, a book is uh, sort of like, imagine if you had an iPad and you just like, you just sliced it about two or three hundred times and then you sort of just looked at bits of it. Uh, you know what? Don't don't worry about it. A book is 200 iPads that only do one thing. There we go. And, and possibly if you're listening to this post-apocalypse, could be the, could be the currency. Who knows? So for me, I, I mean, I've got some very precious memories of some physical games and special edition releases. I think I spoke a while back on the podcast at the sheer thrill of holding the physical box for Pokemon Blue I had when yeah. my mum yeah. surprised me with a copy she'd managed to import. And, and and like you were saying, JP, because because of how rare it was for me to, to get a new game as a child, mm-hmm. a lot of those Game Boy games and all of my Saturn games still give me shivers up the spine when I see them. You know, like, like these are games that I would have read about in Sega Saturn magazine before they were released. Yep. Then I would, you know, potentially see them on the shelves in the shop for the week or two that retailers tried to sell Saturn games. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <it> didn't, <laughs> they they didn't Saturn. stick around long. And then, you know, and then even more time would pass until I got to my next birthday when I may actually be able to to call one of these games my own. Rayman on the Saturn is certainly one of these games as as this was a game that, that I desperately wanted rather than a shared game between me and my brother and also Sonic Jam, mm-hmm. which was a game I coveted for, for even longer than usual because not only was this a Saturn game that I wanted, but these were also games that I wanted to play and own on the Mega Drive, you know, when we were sort of stuck playing what felt like the the off-brand knockoff version of Sonic on the Master System. (laughs) Uh, And so that was just lovely when I sort of finally got to hold that. 
but I think possibly my absolute favorite physical video game release is actually one that I don't own anymore because I, I sold it when I was strapped for cash. And that is the collector's edition of Fallout New Vegas that I had. Oh! Now, I had Fallout 3 on my list as my 45th favorite video game of all time. And, and I said that when I spoke about that, that Fallout New Vegas was sort of bundled in there, you know, as well in, in that entry. In retrospect, I think it should have been the other way around because... I think Fallout New Vegas is a, is a is a better more focused game and it was one that I was like super excited to get because well I was I remember being struck by how rare it was for me to look forward to a PC game coming out knowing that I had a PC that could run it and you know I'd had such a great time playing Fallout 3 I wanted more here was more and it was a time when I was working in game as well so I was able to get a very healthy 25% discount on the gorgeous box set that also included a graphic novel, a making of DVD, a, a pack of cards, and then there were a, a set of poker chips in the box, which was one for each of the different casinos you could visit on the Vegas Strip, and then a replica of the the metal poker chip that is is central to the to the storyline. And I'm I'm so gutted that I don't own it anymore because, well, for one, it was it was lovely to look at. But also its value has, has obviously only gone up. And I was having a look at it online uh, last night. People are selling just the poker chips for about 150 quid. Oh, <laughs> no. Is, wow. I know, I know, I know. I mean, don't feel too bad because I do still have my physical edition of a PAL release of Panzer Dragoon Saga on the oh. Saturn. So that is that is my nest egg. There, yeah. <laughs> yeah that, I love that edition of, of uh, Fallout New Vegas. Unfortunately, my delight in that edition and, you know, my treasured memory of my brief time with it is, is, is kind of what led to me buying the collector's edition of Fallout 4 which is the one that came with the full operational wearable Pip-Boy, <laughs> which <laughs> which I, I can't say in all honesty I got any value out of anything in that set. But there we go. Never mind. Never mind. These memories we have. <laughs> so, JP, let's, yeah. let's turn to you and what you're currently doing with your latest venture, Premium Edition Games. What was it that made you turn from collector to publisher so as you know you mentioned earlier i run jp switch mania which is a very active social media channel website where originally it was meant to store reviews uh because just a quick history about myself when i decided to finally really commit to the switch um because i don't know if everyone knows this but when the switch first came out I wasn't entirely sold on it. You know, I watched the direct when they premiered it and I thought it looked cool. I remember watching it with my friend on the phone and we're talking about it as they're showing off one, two switch and whatnot. <laughs> but I wasn't even That's like classic. going, <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about going for a full set. But when the system came out, I was excited. I was, you know, reading up about it, leading up to the release. I went to my Best Buy at midnight, got it. And then I bought, I think, three out of the five launch games worldwide. And within the first week is probably when I made that decision. I was like, well, you know what? There's only five games out. Why not try and go for it? I honestly thought it was going to be like the Wii U. I'm like, oh, it's going to have like 200 games over the next couple of years. I can do this. I can I can go for a set. And then somebody said something. I don't know who. And the Switch just started like bursting into popularity. And... I mean, now I don't even know how many games I have, but it's a little more than 200 and there's no <laughs> slowdown. But but what's funny is that when I started to really get into the switch, I wasn't doing any social media channels. I was barely ever on, on Twitter, but I was on Facebook and I saw an ad just come up somehow on my feed that says 
interested in the Switch, want to write reviews, um, message me. And it was at the time the owner of a new website called The Switch Effect. It was only a month old. So I reached out. I said, yeah, I think I want to do reviews. Never did them before. I wrote a review for Sonic Mania that was out on the eShop. She liked it. And then when I started talking with her, it transitioned very quickly from me doing reviews to me doing interviews. So I started reaching out to developers and publishers, started building friendships and relationships, and I would just interview them. And on the website, they should all still be there. There's probably like over 100 interviews I've done with people in the industry. And then I stayed with that site for a like maybe a little over half a year or so. I then switched to another site called Gaming Boulevard that's based in Belgium. I did the same thing. I was doing interviews. And then eventually it got to the point where I was thinking, maybe I should just do this on my own. So I I went onto Twitter, which at that point I started to become a little more active. I asked people what my name should be because I had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> people started voting, coming up with ideas, Switch Mania, Switch Maniacs, and then it just kind of morphed into JP Switch Mania and I started doing reviews and interviews on on my site so I built up a little review team I had some friends some new people that I met and we started actively just doing this so what was interesting for me is that all this time I'm I'm learning more about the industry because all, with all the interviews you're learning behind the scenes you're learning about people's passion you know what got them into video games how the games are made uh, and just all the excitement around that and then, you know, shortly after that, I started to do the weekly release post because for me, it was actually, it was, it was more of a selfish thing, but I just needed to keep track of everything coming out. There was just so many games everywhere in the world. And because I collect everything that supports English, <laughs> you know, I have to look at multiple regions. So on any day, I'm looking, no joke, about 14 different retail sites and indie <laughs> indie companies and stuff multiple times a day, just so I don't miss anything. And the weekly release post was just a way for me to just keep everything organized. And then I, it turned out that a lot of people really enjoyed it because it, it allowed them to keep up with everything and also learn about games that they may have missed. So I started doing that. And then I connected with Jeffrey Wittenhagen. He is a you know a published author. So he brought to my attention that he wanted to do the Switch Collector series that chronicles all the Switch games coming out physically year after year. And to help promote that, we ended up starting the Switch Mania Playcast. So it was a way for us to just talk about the Switch, talk about games, you know, keep connected. So we started building up this friendship. And then he approached me last year, probably like a year, year and a half ago, and came up with the idea that maybe we should start a physical publishing company. And we both love the Switch. You know, we obviously love physical media. We grew up in that era of games being complete in, in the box, in the case, with manuals and all that stuff. And, you know, we talked back and forth for a while. You know, we're all just busy with our lives, with kids and family and other things. But I would say in 2020, it really kind of started to solidify. We registered the company name. We got approved by Nintendo. And then on August 11th, we launched Premium Edition Games with our first release, Super Blood Hockey. And I don't know, it's just kind of like the stars kind of aligned. It felt like the right time where we both wanted to pursue something new and, and work towards something that we're passionate about. And obviously, I... I love the Nintendo Switch. It's to me, it's the first video game community and console that I've ever really felt a part of. So it, to me, it was just very natural that if I'm gonna be doing this, it might as well be for my favorite system. Fantastic. I mean, all of us have I've spoken before about how you know we would love to venture into something more involved in the actual in the industry rather than sort of being on the outside looking in right uh, if that's you know sort of developing developing our own games. I mean, it's something that me and Chris definitely 
barely dabbled with uh, as kids. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I've I've got stuff in my head that I think, oh, you know, when I've got time, I'll um I'll load up Click Team Fusion and create a mobile game or something. You know, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd love to be able to do that. And it's one of the wonderful things about this podcast is that it has kind of given us an identity to build on. Certainly over the last year, with with us having a lot of downtime in in lockdown. We were able to to get set up on Twitch and start producing videos, and uh, you know, hopefully, that's going to sort of snowball in a in a similar way to mm-hmm. sort of what what you've done in terms of turning a hobby into into something more professional. So you touched on your first game that you published, and I think you currently have two games published with a third on the way soon. Yes. So right now we're still in production, which is very hard for me because i if anyone knows me i'm the most impatient person in the world i i want <laughs> things right away i don't like to wait so for me to be you know now have this company where we have the cartridges in hand which is the crazy part like i have the cartridges for both games which is super blood hockey and pigeon dev games collection which i'll explain the four games in that one but i i literally have the cartridge in this blank case on my shelf right now fully playable if you go on to you know my youtube channel the premium edition youtube channel you can see video of it you know in action and right now where we are at the stage is with our packing facility we're just finalizing the the packaging design so nintendo approved all of the artwork and whatnot and now it's up to the packaging facility to put that all together so to print it out compile the case itself and we're going back and forth on an approval so you know they'll they'll print it out we'll make sure that the quality is right we'll make sure that there's you know bleeds in the color lines that shouldn't be there nothing's blurry and that's kind of where we are which is hard because all 5,000 cartridges of these games are just sitting there and we're just nearing those final steps. So we are close to shipping, I'll say. I'm really optimistic that February is when we'll finally be able to put out an update saying that the games have begun to ship. But yeah, I can I can go into our games that we have right now for those that aren't familiar. So our first game is, is Super Blood Hockey. So think of it as a retro RPG 8-bit arcade hockey game. So whether you want a quick match or you want to create a team of convicts to win in the Blood Leagues in franchise mode, this is the game for you because it's just it's it's a throwback to, you know, ice hockey, Blades of Steel from the NES era. It's just so much fun. The chiptune music from Sean Daly is just, you know, it just really gets you going. And it's bloody. I mean, it's 8-bit <laughs> pixelated blood. And it's insane how much blood is just popping out as you're, you know, checking each each player. And what's crazy is that you, you can actually adjust the blood. So you can have it from nothing at all. So you can have your kids play all the way to just, I can't even see the, the ice hockey rink anymore because it's just <laughs> bloody. And it's, it's cute because it's all 8-bit. So it's just a lot of fun. It's a great game. We're really happy to be partnered with the developer, Lauren Lemke, and also his digital publisher, which is Digerati. So I think what's special to us about this is that we are a brand new company and they saw something in us and they were willing to partner with us to allow their game to be our first release. So, you know, for that, we're very grateful and we're so nearing like shipping. So it it is very soon. It's limited to 5,000 copies worldwide. So... You know, I'll do a quick plug, but premiumeditiongames.com and you can pre-order your copy. I wouldn't wait. Of course, I'll say that. But then our (laughs) our second game, and and actually what's really cool about this is that with Super Blood Hockey, it's the first solo hockey game physically on the Switch. We have no EA NHL. We have no other hockey game out there. And the only other game I can think of is this I think it's like Junior League 3-in-1 from the UK, which is a, a very kiddie game of like basketball, I think soccer and hockey. And it's, you know, very simplistic. But this is the first true 
solo hockey game, which I think is awesome that we're able to do that. And then with our second release, which is currently up for pre-order as well, it's the Pigeon Dev Games Collection. So it's four games from the same developer, Pigeon Dev, and she is based in Russia, and she created Awesome P1, Awesome P2, Bucket Knight, Explosive Jake, and those are the four games on one cartridge. And what's really cool also about this release is that, to my knowledge, it is the only multi-cart application cartridge in the US, meaning four individual games on one cartridge. And I think that's really cool because when you pop it in, you'll see four individual icons appear on your screen. So I, I'm, I'm glad we're able to do that. It's the first time these four games have been bundled together physically because if you recall on the PS4, Awesome P1 and 2 were available individually through Red Art Games. On the Vita, Awesome P1 and 2 were bundled together, just those two games on the on the Vita from East Asia Soft. But here we have four games on one collection. And it's also going to be our first release that offers our retro edition that's going to come with a retro style box in the size of an SNES box. It's going to come with our official steelbook. And then we're also offering a deluxe edition where you get all that stuff from the retro. It's housed in this Neo Geo style case. It comes with a CD, an enamel pin, and a about a 200-page strategy guide book. Amazing. So it's not even just Amazing. an art book. It's actually a strategy guide. It's an interview with the developer. It's the history of the making of the physical production of the game, the history of the games itself, all the artwork as well. But, I mean, it's just so comprehensive. You know, right now it, we've sent it off to printing already. And because Jeffrey is an author, it was only natural that he would incorporate books into our releases. But I mean, when people see these, it's definitely going to bring back that feel of getting strategy guides back in the day, but so much more. So we are very much looking forward to that. The retro and the deluxe, I will say, will be shipping closer to end of March, April, just because of the steelbook and the the guidebook printing times and, and, and shipping. But the premium edition, Pigeon Dev and Super Blood Hockey, we're expecting really like ideally like end of January, more realistically February. So it's not that far off. And then finally, our third game that's not yet up for pre-order, but we did announce was a robot named Fight. So this is from a solo developer, Matt Bittner. He worked with the digital publisher HitSent to bring this to the eShop. But what's cool is that this is a 2D action adventure roguelike that has you going through more than 4 billion unique runs of procedurally (laughs) generated labyrinths as you get power-ups, you find secrets, you fight creatures, and ultimately you want to get strong enough to fight the mega beast. You know, the tagline is, are you fight enough? (laughs) And the game is awesome. It has such a cult following that we were very surprised it never got a physical release before. So when we approached them, they were very happy to partner with us. And we're hoping that the pre-orders will go live in the next couple months for a summer physical release. But that one's not yet live, but it is coming. Fantastic. Certainly looking at the the Pigeon Dev collection, it's such a nice addition. I mean, that's the sort of, I mean, that's the sort of shit I live for. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Oh, I love it. Just what a lovely way to sort of celebrate your love of of video games to sort of, you know, be involved in creating something so, so lovely as that. It's just, um, yeah, really, really nice. One thing that we always say within the company is that we never want to do anything standard. So, you know, the, Mm. I'll put in quotes, the regular edition is called our premium because Jeff and I played games in the 80s, 90s, and whatnot. So we remember when you would buy a game and that packaging, whether it's the case or a box, was full of stuff. So that's why for us, all of our releases have full 
instruction manuals, which are 20 plus pages, fully colored. We're doing them in the style of NES manuals. So they're going to open up, you know, landscape, which is really cool. Beautiful. We're going to have a slip cover with all of our releases. And right now, the first two slip covers that you see on our website for Super Blood Hockey and Pigeon Dev is by Paul Niemeyer. He's done artwork on Tron. He's the one who created the Mortal Kombat Dragon logo. Oh, wow. So wow. he's just, you know, very well known in the community, but his artwork is so unique. So we're going to have slip covers with those. And then, you know, we'll have our sticker of the game's logo. But what's really cool that Jeffrey wanted to bring back from the Atari Activision days is what we call our challenge cards. So in all of our releases, you'll get a trading card. It'll have artwork on the front with our number of the release. But on the back is a developer-specific challenge. And this is something that they set. But what happens is when people complete the challenge and they just follow the simple rules on the back, which is, you know, take a pic of your of the completed challenge on your screen, share it on social media, tag us. We're going to mail them a patch for free. So oh, it, so it's a little achievement. So cool. Yeah. That and- is so. Oh, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Literally, if. Oh, stop it. That's so nice. I love it. If every game did that, I would. Oh, I love it. Well, you know, <laughs> Nintendo doesn't have a true achievement system. And for us, yes, you know, I'm a collector, but I don't purposely keep my games sealed. I, I, I open them as I play them. And because I don't have a mm. lot of time to play, the majority of my collection is sealed. But we want people to play these games. We find them to be very fun, regardless of the genre. And I feel like this is just a nice incentive to get people to pop open the case, take out the cartridge, and then you get a reward for just playing the game. And the challenges, you know, are challenging, but they're not impossible. I mean, they're doable for anybody that just wants to invest a little bit of time and they're limited. So, you know, for the first two games, we made a thousand patches. We'll see how it goes, you know, how well it's received. Obviously, if we see everybody doing it you know will make it more accessible if not we may even limit it even more to the people who really want to just do more with the games that they buy but i think it's fun i think it's just something to build a community around it gets people talking about the games and also playing them and i think that's what's really important is that these games are just so fun that's why you know we picked them and we reached out to the developers and we just want more people to play them and this is just a little reward for doing that so i think it's it's going to be really interesting to see once we start seeing people completing the challenges and then getting these patches in the mail but yeah we're we're excited it's just a it's like our own little achievement system. I absolutely love it. <laughs> yeah, literally. Like, awesome. It's, it's the little things like that that sell me on something. It's the sort of thing that would make me just go, yeah, fine, I'll absolutely buy that. There we go. <laughs> no, absolutely no problem. No problem at all. As a new publisher, one thing we're learning is that it is not a smooth process because, you know, depending on the developer... You have a lot of interaction with them before you decide to sign the game. Others, you know, you just kind of quickly talk and it's it's just handshake, send out the agreement and everybody is happy. But what what's really fun to learn and also stressful is the whole process with Nintendo because we'll take Super Blood Hockey as an example. That game has been out for a few years on the eShop. It's, it's available. You, you could have already bought it if you wanted to. And when it came to the physical production, we thought, okay, we'll submit the digital file to Nintendo for physical production. Shouldn't be any issues. The game exists already. And they started finding bugs and problems that they didn't catch before or just weren't known before. And nothing changed. You know, the developer hadn't done any updates or anything, but they started like I don't know what kind of ninja wizards they have on their team (laughs) to find bugs, but it got bounced back to us five times for various things. And it wasn't anything that honestly, 
you or me playing would probably ever come across. Like one I think is when you're putting in your high score and you change your characters to Japanese characters and then you back out of the screen, then ABC happens. And we're thinking like, whoever does these things but <laughs> but you know they they found one where you know if you start charging up your shot on the left hand side of the screen and then you release it and then you start moving to the right hand in the upper right corner the charge sound still stays on for a few seconds so they found all these problems so what's nice is that the the physical version will have the most updated version of the game but what happens is it it starts causing delays because Whereas you thought you would just submit a game, you'd wait, and then it would get approved. You're going back and forth a few times, which which obviously delays the process. And then what's funny is that once that's all done, you know, Nintendo sends you the approval, you pay for the cartridges. And it, it honestly was only like two, three weeks for them to ship and for us to have them already. So that part wasn't long at all. And then, of course, when you're submitting your artwork, you submit every single piece to them and they have to approve it all. If there's something that's questionable on, on the artwork, if the warning information on the back isn't correct, you know, they'll bounce that back. You have to make your changes, resubmit. Then you wait another week or so. So it's it's little things like that that it's it's I would call them first game learning problems because as we move along, obviously we now know what to look for, what to make sure is included. So we're gonna be kind of grouping our games together by series. So this is more like internal dialogue and lingo and also for marketing, but you know, Pigeon Dev and Super Blood Hockey are our series one games, just two of them. And then series two is gonna include Robot Name Fight and two other games that we haven't announced yet. But even though we haven't announced them, we're already doing that whole approval process with Nintendo. So that way, by the time we announce the games, that lot check or that review of the the file is going to be done. So we don't have that delay. Also, things should start going a lot faster because with the packing facility, you know, we'll have already done two games with them. We obviously know how they work. We know what they look for when we're submitting things. So our goal is that everything starts to speed up a little bit more. But hopefully, you know, with our Series 2, we will see a quicker shipping time from the moment that we launch our pre-orders up until when we get to say, hey, everyone, you know, your game is on its way. So how about beyond that? So you've got plans for for your second series. Yep. And what aspirations do you have for the company as obviously it hopefully grows over the coming months and and years where do you where do you want to get to so there's a few things that are in the works that you know we're already talking about one is that we'd love to bring developers in-house and start developing our own games under our line i think that would be a great opportunity because you know being a physical publisher we are and and you could also register as a digital publisher so it's very possible for us to kind of handle all those pieces but we'd love to you know bring in new developers or people who want to get into the industry and start building games ourselves, which I think would be fun. Another piece is we would love to partner with other companies. And we've seen this a few times where, you know, they'll release a game, but maybe we'll do the deluxe or the special edition or our premium edition version of that game. So that's another aspect. And then, of course, I want this to be full time. You know, Jeffrey and I both have full time jobs where we're doing this in between those moments and then in our free time outside of that but i would absolutely love for this to be our full-time career where you know we get our headquarters set up and we have our team in-house and this is all we're doing and you know we have switch right now but we'd love to expand eventually into the other consoles as well and just be an all-around publisher amazing really hope that you guys uh, you guys get to that point it's going to be great for us getting to know you to see how it's going to develop over you know over the next month years Mm -hmm. it's gonna be great and who knows, maybe one day we'll make a game that you can release. There you no, go. That's, we'll that's, 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 <laughs> I'm going to add that to my bucket list now. So, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. 
Do it. So to round this episode off, we thought that we'd all pick a game that we'd love to see either immortalized in physical form if it hasn't had a, a physical release or perhaps a collector's edition of a game that we'd uh, we'd love to see so for me it's an easy one which is hades mm. when i was sort of thinking about this i was i was searching online because i was like i'm aware that obviously loads of games have been released already and i thought hades must have had something it must have had something but it hasn't and that's mad because i mean i would buy the crap out of a beautiful (laughs) special edition of that with like an art book you know the soundtrack an entire encyclopedia of lore you know a few models replica fish all of it like (laughs) I, i i really am surprised it hasn't been snapped up by a publisher already to be honest i think limited run will probably have it in the works uh, they must do. I mean, they already released Bastion and Transistor, yeah. which are obviously yeah. Supergiant games as well. So, yeah, I mean, they're obviously open to that. I mean, I'd certainly be surprised if it doesn't even come out this year, especially, you know, they could even market it as a Game mm. of the Year edition yeah. uh, because it picked up a few of those awards. I'm ready. Um, my wallet is ready. I'm open. <laughs> just just give me the URL and, uh, and you can have anything. <laughs> Chris, how about you? The two games I want preserved more than any other modern indie titles are both of Jonathan Blow's games. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, Braid was the beginning of the modern indie era on consoles, really. It was it was right at the ground floor. And it seems baffling to me that it has never been preserved for the platforms it launched on. It's, it's also weird. It's never been ported. I know it's got a, a release coming up in the near future, kind of a, a legacy sort of remastered version. But it's never been on the PlayStation 4 or the Xbox One or the Switch, and it would just fit neatly on any of those machines. So that's always quite strange. But The Witness as well, I really want a copy of The Witness for the shelf. And when it first came out, I remember umming and ahhing over spending the 30-odd quid it was on the PlayStation Network store because it had got so much promotion from Sony and Jonathan Blow was such a big figure at that time. I thought a disc release is just a shoe in and I was thinking, okay, I'll just wait a month or two and then we'll see what happens. See, keep my ear to the ground. And it just, it never did. And I'm really glad that I pulled the trigger like really early on when that game first launched because it's a very good title. <laughs> it's a very, very good game. <laughs> and, you know, I've got loads of, of games that have been preserved, physical copies for, for the Vita or the PlayStation 4 or the Switch that are a lot worse than The Witness <laughs> and, and probably, probably don't deserve that shelf space as much as this title does. <laughs> this is what I mentioned earlier. I, I get the fear over things like The Witness just being gone one day because Sony says, yep, that's the end. We're just switching the servers off. Good night. And, and it, it can't be that way. <laughs> you know, games that are this important need, need something that people can hold on to. Yeah. And as much as it's unlikely that Sony is going to shut down tomorrow or, or Steam is going to disappear or any of these storefronts are just gone, it's still a possibility, as we've seen, like I said, with, with Nintendo's eShop for the Wii. Mm. It's not impossible that one day things can just get to a point where financially it doesn't make sense to keep keep the servers up. And yeah, The Witness the witness deserves its place on the shelf. Brings me back to what I was saying about curating my own museum of, of things. And because there are games that mean a lot to me that I don't have a physical thing for, The Witness being one of them, because I got a, a little triptych of canvases printed which were my way of honouring some games that I didn't have another physical thing for. So I've got The Witness, Outer Wilds, which has now got physical release. It does, yeah. And Ori and the Blind Forest, which I've got on the way. But yeah, it's nice to have a piece of art of The Witness on my wall. So I've got something at least in this museum to represent, obviously, one of the greatest games ever made. (laughs) Minty, how about you? 
what would you love to get your grubby mitts on? Well, obviously it's going to be Turok 3. <laughs> but that's what I came into the episode being all prepared to say. But something's happened in my head with all this talk of um, <laughs> physical bestiaries and strategy guides. And, you know, this probably isn't for a game that exists yet, but wouldn't it be great to, <laughs> to have a game that has like, like, like a physical bestiary with also like a code breaker element that you then input into the game somehow. Barcode Battler. Do you remember Barcode Battler? No. no. It was a weird like handheld thing, I guess, that came out in the 90s. And you used to scan a barcode just from like a packet of food. And the barcode would then generate a little creature for you that you fought other people with. So it just took like the numbers and digits from the barcode that would then set the the creature's hit points and strength or whatever. Okay, well that's so yeah, it's kind of like that. Yeah, that, that, that's the kind of intersectionality that I'm very much interested in. <laughs> yeah, but yes, yeah, no, Turok three. You love Turok. So bring us on home, JP. What is? I mean, this could be potentially something that you've got your sights on to release yourself. But what what uh, what edition would you love to see? Yeah, there's actually two games that I um, I have my eye on. So it's not a tease <laughs> of it's coming, but maybe one day I I would absolutely hope for. But uh, there's a game by Retroid called Wonderland. Came out last year. I got to play this at PAX with the developer. Uh, it was the first time I ever saw this game. We even did it for our playcast and absolutely love it. It's a puzzle platformer where the twist is you're playing as the little minion in a video game. You're not playing as the hero, but you're playing as just like the grunt minion. And you have to stop the bad guy who's the hero. I love the twist on it. It's really cool because, you know, you start off just being able to go left and right. And then you can't stop. So when he hits a wall, you know, he goes the other way. So you have to jump. You eventually get more power-ups. You have unlockables. And it's just a fun game. Like, it really is. I would highly recommend checking it out. And I would absolutely love to do a physical of that. So maybe one day. And then there's another game that actually came out on the Wii U. And then it came out digitally on the eShop. And it's called Adventure of Pip from TikTok games. Oh, yes. And what's awesome is that you literally transform yourself from a 1-bit pixel to 8-bit to 16-bit. It's a platformer, and it helps you obviously navigate the puzzles and and the levels. And the game is just so much fun. It's super big. Like, you know, I haven't even beaten it yet, but you look at the world map, and they're broken into levels. I love the idea of that. I love, you know, creativity in, in games like that. So, and it obviously also has a throwback to like the retro style, which, you know, we love. So those would be two games that I would absolutely love to see physical. Even better, I'd love to see them under the premium edition name. But yeah, those are uh, two that I would say off the eShop that I would love to see. So there we have it. That is the end of this special episode celebrating physical games. Thank you hugely, JP, for joining us. Thank you. So if people want to get hold of any of the physical games that you are currently producing uh, with Premium Edition Games, how can they do that? So because we couldn't get the shipping low enough that we thought would be fair for anybody outside the US, we actually partnered with Video Games Plus in Canada. They handle all of our international shipping. Our games are directly on their site, same price that we offer, and their shipping is literally the same as what we offer in the US, which is unbelievable. It's just a few bucks to ship around the world when it's not free shipping, you know, on our premium edition for pigeon dev all the other versions and super blood hockey a little bit of shipping but it's very very fair so videogamesplus.ca is where you can find our games if you're outside the u.s and then premium if you're in the u.s but we have the whole world covered 
If you want to get in touch with us, you can do that. We have got all the social media channels, facebook.com slash our3cents, Instagram, Twitch, and TikTok at O3C Podcast. We're on YouTube. If you search for Our3Cents, you can find all of our video content there. Please do get in touch with us. Chat to us about the games that you're playing. Give us your opinions on the games that we've spoken about in this. Tell us what your favourite physical game ever is. We'd love to hear all about that. You can also get in touch with us individually. I am on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. My house is at Chaz underscore Hodges. Oh, God, I'm Clement underscore Boo. And if people want to get in touch with you, JP, what's the best way to do that? So for my personal channel, go to jpswitchmania.com. If it's Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, or Twitter, just type in jpswitchmania. You'll see me. And of course, with Premium Edition Games on Twitter, it's Premium Edition and then the number one. And then anywhere else, so that's YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, it's Premium Edition Games. And of course, we have our Discord channel that you're always more than welcome to join, where we talk about our games, any game, and you can also comment on which games you'd like to see physically. Fantastic. Also, if you are really enjoying what we're doing here at Our Three Cents and you fancy supporting us a little bit more or just getting more out of us because you're you're so bloody hungry for our chat, (laughs) then you can check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash our3cents. On there, you can see all the perks that are on offer for the various different pledging tiers, such as full bonus episodes, exclusive deleted scenes and outtakes that are very funny. (laughs) Very very silly as well, uh, but but very good. Uh, There's also custom artwork and there's access to the exclusive Our Three Cents Discord channel as well, which is just, just just a very nice place to be. And please do join us next week as we resume our countdown with our ninth favorite video games of all time. The award-winning Go Nintendo podcast is the best place to get the latest news on the world of Nintendo. We cover the biggest stories, share impressions of the latest games, and answer your burning questions. There's also some general pop culture talk, game music trivia, a heaping helping of silliness, and did I mention our sassy robot companion? I'm the star of the show. Catch new episodes of the Go Nintendo podcast every Saturday on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Hey Chris, what's the War Rocket Ajax podcast about? Well Matt, if we were smart, it'd be about murders. But it's actually about comics. War Rocket Ajax. It's not about murders. But it is weekly on the Greenlit Podcast Network.